to this uh, passage that Dina read. Um, oftentimes, after I do a series of prepared messages, like over the last few weeks, I'll even wonder to myself, what am I trying to say? And that's probably a very dangerous place to be in when even the minister is not sure what he or she is trying to say. But I'll look back and ask myself, so what was I trying to say here? If I were to bottom line it, how would I bottom line the last few weeks, the spiritual life in real time? Well, I would bottom line it this way. We were created to live in this ongoing, interactive relationship with our divine friend, with the living Christ. This, this ongoing, interactive relationship which is intended to operate in real time, meaning within the context of our daily lives, within the context of our everyday activities. The way I think about it is my life was never intended to be compartmentalized. My go-to-meeting-for-worship life, my go-to-work compartment, my go-to-the-grocery-store compartment, my go-to-the-school compartment, the whole of our lives were intended to live in this, this ongoing interactive relationship with Christ who shows us the way to live so that we may love well and that we may live well so In everything that we're about, there is this constant communication, this constant interaction going on. Yes, sometimes we hear better than others. Sometimes we're more aware and conscious than others. But I think it's one of those realities that I often forget that when I leave here on Sunday morning, when I go out here at 12.15 or 12.30, that Christ is still speaking and communicating and interacting with us, and I am interacting, or I have the possibility to interact as well. You know, George Fox, who is considered the founder of Quakerism, used this phrase, speak to my condition, when he described his own personal encounter with Christ. And and this was back in the 1700s, and after searching and searching and searching for spiritual guidance from as many folks as he could, from adults, from significant people in his life, even from the priests and the pastors who were no help to him at all, he talks about how his encounter with Christ addressed his needs directly. That's why he uses that phrase, spoke to my condition, that Christ directly spoke to his condition and exactly what he needed. And the way I like to think about it is this. This is the beauty of this interactive connection that we have with Christ. Christ speaks to your condition. A few years ago, I went to uh, see a doctor for a problem I was having, and, and, uh, and I had gone a couple times, and finally the doctor said to me, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm going to refer you to a specialist. And his words were, he knows the landscape better. And wasn't sure what that meant for my problem I was having. I didn't know that my body had a landscape, but I understood and appreciated his concern. So I went to this specialist, and the specialist knew exactly what to do, how to address the situation, and how to proceed from there. And when I think of how Christ is in this ongoing interactive relationship with us, I think of Christ as the specialist to our condition. Christ knows exactly what we need. Maybe we need forgiveness. Maybe we need comfort. Maybe we we need guidance and counsel and correction or healing, encouragement, strength, courage, insight, or wisdom. I don't know what it is. I would dare say that probably everyone here has some kind of different condition this morning. I always say the prepared message probably hits about a very narrow bandwidth of it, and that's okay. Because it's not about whether I speak to your condition It's helpful when it does, and I'm glad when it does. It's about whether we allow Christ to speak 
to our condition. And so that in our active, ongoing relationship, the spirituality in real time, the spiritual life in real time, is being aware of that interactiveness that's going on. It's, it also applies to how we're being guided and directed in life, which is kind of what I want to get to in a few moments. And my sense of being allowed to be guided by someone was put to the test this weekend. Linda and I went to uh, Virginia uh, Friday and yesterday. I was asked to officiate at a wedding of my good friend Richard Wilcox. He actually spoke here a few years ago, and Richard was getting married in New Kent County, uh, Virginia, which is between Williamsburg and, and Richmond. Linda and I had this kind of ongoing debate Uh, I like to use my GPS on my phone, which I think is Google Maps is where it comes from. Linda likes to use the app called Waze, W-A-Z-E. I don't know if any of you use Waze or not. Linda loves Waze. I argue that Waze has an issue with me and wants to take me in ways that I don't trust (laughs) because it takes me completely out of my comfort zone. And if you've ever used Waze, you will see parts of town you've never seen before. I'm not sure how they set that thing up. But it gets you there, and I was wrong again last night. It got us there and around and about on time. But as we were going up there, uh, it started to reroute us. If you've ever been up to that part of the country between Williamsburg and Richmond about 3 or 4 o'clock in the evening, Thursday, Friday, especially on a Friday, it is just gridlock. Bumper to bumper, cars are not moving. So all of a sudden, Ways, her voice comes in, and she starts rerouting us. Immediately, I'm thinking, ah, oh, this isn't going to happen. No, no, I know the way to go. I know the best way to go. We're going to go this way. But I could tell that Linda and Ways had had a conversation before we ever got to that point. <laughs> Linda was talking me off down, and she said, listen, let's just try this. And so we did. Well, eventually, we went down one country road, went down another country road, went down this road. We we, uh, we went over 64, and we looked at all the cars backed up, and we eventually made it to the New Kent County Courthouse, and we proceeded from there, had to take care of my business and all that. The point of this is, I found out what it meant to totally put my hands in the trust of someone else who was guiding my life. I had no idea where I was going. All I could go by was this voice that said, turn here, turn here, take this road. And every step of the way, I kept thinking, but I know the better way. I know the better way. But often I don't. And that's part of that ongoing interactive relationship we have with Christ, is how Christ guides us and directs us and knows that there is a better way for us. The question is is whether I'm willing to listen to that and pay attention to that and follow that in my heart, and my soul, when I hear it, am I willing to live into this better way? You know, at the top of our bulletin here, I, we have a verse that talks about flourishing and loving. And, and part of the destination, if you will, of, of my pastoral ministry, and I hope for everyone's spiritual life, is that we will flourish well, we will live well, and we will love well. When we know the destination, then we can trust the living Christ to get us to that point. And if our destination is to live well, if our destination is to love well, then we simply follow the guidance of the Spirit as that comes upon us every day and sometimes in every moment. Now let's get to this uh, interesting scenario with this verse that that Dina Dina read. The reason I picked the story was simply this. Um, It spoke to me out of this. Here was a man, Philip, who is one of the early apostles in the early church. 
And the early church is growing fast. It's just exploding. It's exploding with persecution. It's exploding with growth. And you have the Spirit who has been poured out on this early faith community, and things are beginning to happen. And they are just sharing the good news all over the world. And you have to think about, in their mind's eye, all over the world was their world at that point in time. They hadn't gone out. They hadn't explored. But to them, that was their world. The Spirit was exploding sending them out all over the world. And what is fascinating for me is to see and and pay attention as to how each of them just simply followed the guidance of the Spirit. An angel from the Lord spoke to Philip at noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he did. That's all. He hears this voice and he says, this voice says, the Spirit speaks, take this road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. And the spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. And so he did. And he ran along this carriage. And then he finds out that this man is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins to talk to him. And he finds out that he's seeking. And it ends, at least the passage for today, that starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. It's just a wonderful little story of someone who faithfully pays attention to the Spirit and follows the leading of the Spirit and simply engages it and and just goes every step of the way, and you have this transformation. Now, here's what I want to offer us, at least what I take from it. And the first thing is this. The Spirit, our divine friend, will often lead us and guide us in such a way that our lives will intersect with the lives of others, often at the point of their need, and when they are seeking, and when they are needing someone to come alongside them. Now, maybe you have been on the giving end of that. Maybe you have been on the receiving end of that. But I am often stunned at those moments when I hear stories of how people have been led and guided, and they have that prompting. They have that nudge, I like to call it. They have that holy hunch that I need to do this. I need to go talk to this person. I need to call them on the phone. I need to come alongside them. I don't know why, just like this this, this man, to just go up to them and come alongside them. They may be in need. And then something happens. I was having a conversation with a friend this morning, and he gave me the perfect picture of how this works. And we were talking about AA. He's in AA, and, in, and I love having these conversations with him because he tells me about his journey and, and how it's going with him and how it works and how they work and the dynamics of, of, of their organization. And I don't know how we got onto this part of it, but I think we were talking about how it does such a wonderful job of transforming people. And I told him I had just been up to the Williamsburg area, and he says, it's funny you say that. He says, I remember years ago, 19 years ago, he says, I was up that way for my job. And he says, I had started AA about that time, and I was going to a meeting. He says, I just popped into this meeting, because oftentimes they look for where meetings are being held, and, and they go to him. He says, I just popped into this meeting. He says, when I went in, I saw this man, his hand was just, his face was just buried in his hands like this, just buried. And he was shaking, just shaking his head. And he says, I just felt led at that point to come alongside him and ask him, could I help him? Was there anything I could do for him? 
And so the man opened up to him and was distraught, uh, was in a job at that time, um, but literally had not with him, but had been carrying a gun. Because at some point he felt like he just couldn't take this anymore. That he had decided that if he could not find any help, that he was just going to end his life. Had a wife and had children. And so my friend came along beside him at that moment, talked with him and shared with him, kept in touch with him as they do in this wonderful organization. And then he says, it's fascinating, 19 years later, he says, I'm still his sponsor. He says, 19 years later, he has set up other groups. And 19 years later, he is a sponsor for others. And he sets up meetings to help people be sponsors for others. In other words, it was that one chance encounter that now this man has gone and started other groups for other people who show up with their face in their hands thinking, I can't take this anymore. Because my friend this morning just listened to the Spirit in that one moment and came alongside of him. Dramatic? Absolutely. But can it happen to any one of us? Absolutely. It reminds us that often the Spirit leads in ways that we don't quite understand, but we just lean into it and let God do the work that needs to be done. That's what Philip did with this Ethiopian eunuch. I think the second thing is often we're led in such a way that we may not know the end result. All we can do in those moments is be faithful to the leadings and promptings that we experience and that we sense. And my friend had no idea how that was going to end up. He had no idea where it was going to go. He wasn't there for a long visit. He was just there for work. He was going to come back home again and look where it's led. Look what has happened. Sometimes when we follow these leadings, sometimes when we experience these moments and we come alongside people, we come alongside situations, we don't know where they're going to go and we don't know exactly how they're going to end. I've already used the example this morning. One of our members, Eddie, stands up, shares about his concern for hunger. Another member, Dave, here, stands up and says, all right, let's get this organized. And then now we have opportunity, just one of many. The Peace Pantry we've talked about, the story that Brittany was sharing about was a situation where the kids were out at their uh, trip, uh, the woods of uh, Terre, and they got a call. And they got a call from someone in Archdale who needed some food. Well, uh, the people she was mentioning were Richard and Dawn. Richard and Dawn went by and got some food for this person in Archdale. I think they got some of the Peace Pantry, but also bought some, took it to the woman in Archdale. And I heard from Dawn later um, what a blessing it was for them. And come to find out that the woman that they took the food to wanted to mention, just in passing, how much she enjoyed the little free library that's down at Creekside Park. And that she and her daughter stay there, uh, uh, she and her, her child go by and pick up the books. Now, These are just examples, but part of this is, friends, if we pay attention to these leadings, we may never know how they're going to end up, but my guess is this, if God's in it, it's going to end up good, and lives are going to be helped. The last thing I would say is this about Philip and this story. At times, we'll be led into places and circumstances that may challenge our prejudices and challenge our barriers, particularly in regards to who we think will or will not experience God's transformative love. If you read this story very carefully, Philip was pushing the envelope on exclusivity. He had just gone and ministered among the Samaritans who were outcasts, considered outcasts, not worthy of God's love, of God's grace. And then he comes upon this person who obviously is a Gentile, who obviously is a person of another race, who obviously is a person of another nationality. 
Not only that, but if you go to Deuteronomy 23, you'll read very clearly that particularly eunuchs are not to be part of the temple at that point. And so here was a person who by all intents and purposes should have been excluded from God's presence, been excluded from God's kingdom, been excluded from God's people. And here Philip just hears the voice. He hears the Spirit speak. And he goes to this person and he begins to share the good news. Doesn't ask them if they're qualified. Doesn't ask them if they're eligible. Doesn't check them out first to see if they're the right kind of person, the right kind of group, the right kind of nationality. Just simply shares the good news with them. And this person is transformed. I think it invites me, at least, to always be mindful of maybe my own prejudices and barriers where I might say, yeah, that person's never going to receive it. That person's never going to respond. That person's not a person who would be interested in my message. Or maybe I have fear of a group that's different from me. Or maybe I have fear of a person that's different from me. Or maybe I have fear of, of a tradition or religion that's different from me. So I'm afraid and scared to share what I want to share. And the story says, lean into it. Don't let those prejudices keep you away because you'll never know what God will do and how God will use you to speak to this person. Spiritual life in real time. That's kind of how I want to end this few messages is just to remind us that God is constantly communicating to us, constantly guiding and directing us. And sometimes we have no idea where it's going. But we can trust that if God is guiding, it's going to take us somewhere fruitful, somewhere good, not only for us, but for those that we come into contact with. I want to give us some queries before we close. And just take a few moments um, after, we, um, after I read these to maybe spend some time just listening, and then we'll close with our hymn. How have you experienced Christ leading you in a way that your life intersected with others? and you're able to serve them, and they were able to encourage you. What promptings, leadings, and holy hunches are you sensing that you have no idea where they may be leading, but you feel called to take the journey? And then maybe the one that may be hardest for uh, us sometimes, how is Christ, through the Spirit, pushing you to examine your fears, your prejudices, and even barriers to seeing others as those loved by God, and as those who God can reach? and transform.